this is Control Structure, episode 61 for May 21st, 2014. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Bailey, and this is my co-host, Stephen Orvis. Hi, Stephen. Hi. Hi, Andrew. Hi. So, this uh, seems to be a pretty big week. You know, uh, at work, you know, it's if the week ended now, it would be it, it would be more eventful than most weeks, unfortunately. You know, some things haven't exactly gone according to plan. Sounds like a few bugs in there, perhaps. But uh, hopefully everything will be uh, good because we're going to have a podcast with uh, a guest. So, oh, hey. Hey. That's me. Yes, you are Ross Nover. Yeah, hey guys. Uh, from uh, the System Comic. Yes, you can find my comic, which is called The System, at systemcomic.com. Who knew? So, uh, before we get started too much, if you're listening to this on iTunes or somewhere else other than thenexus.tv, uh, you can go to thenexus.tv slash cs61 to find our show notes, because we're going to be talking about links all around the web. So, uh, how's everyone's uh, week's been? My week's been going. It's, I don't know. Coding and more coding. <laughs> Just good. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Oh, there you are again. Hey, here I am. Yeah, I've been coding and more coding. Um, we're actually trying out a new thing at work called Macaw. Um, I guess I should put this in the show notes now. Um, <laughs> but the website is Macaw, M-A-C-A-W dot C-O. Probably put it where I'm at. Yeah, um, it is a... Uh, um, I think I've heard of this before. Yeah, it is a WYSIWYG... Um, code editor, but the nice thing about it is it is a balance of you need to know the code that you're writing with um, with letting you visually kind of click on things and draw them and drag them around and such. So it's it's kind of uh, and the code that it creates doesn't suck. Um, if, so if I recall, I think yeah. this might have been a Kickstarter once. It sure was, um, and actually the guys that created it uh, and are working on it work out of my office. So there was kind of some impetus to give it a shot. Um, but anyway, I've been using this to do some quick uh, front-end prototyping. And it's been pretty cool. Um, it's glitchy as hell. But, <laughs> you know, it's only been around a little while. and uh, Growing pains. Yep, I want to see it grow. So I definitely am giving it a shot and sticking with it. Well, that's pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard uh, at least uh, from your comic slash blog that you uh, recently moved so yes yes so, i now live in a uh larger apartment with my awesome girlfriend and um we try and play video games when we can <laughs> uh, but for the most part we just take the dog out for a lot of walks so uh from my memory you uh, live in near washington dc yes i actually live in washington dc oh dab. yep that's and, um, that's even better yeah, in an area called DuPont Circle. Um, well, actually, I, I'm sorry, I'm really used to saying that. My old apartment was in DuPont. My new apartment is in an area that's uh, kind of basically in between DuPont Circle and Adams Morgan. Um, and basically Adams Morgan. <laughs> now I'm just getting technical. <laughs> like you're going to correct me. But like, yes, it's Adams Morgan. And um, See, I, I remember DuPont Circle from Fallout 3. Exactly. Um, uh, See, I think I might have actually been there in person once. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, that's when my brother came to visit one time. He's like, oh, I know where we are. We're going this way, and that's where this is. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, that's also where you get this gun. And I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) What? 
<laughs> oh right. Follow. Of course, of course, yeah. guns might be actually be illegal there. But uh, mm, yeah. as well, as as for the two of us, we're over in Pittsburgh. Oh, the home of guns. So <laughs> so and uh, you know, I've I've lived here for almost five years, and it wasn't until about a year ago that I realized that I actually live in a big city, like mm. a big city proper, even though I'm like way out in the suburbs. Right. Uh, even though my uh, mailing address is actually big city mm-hmm. and not some other, you know, suburb or whatever. Right. Right. So I've been to Pittsburgh, uh, albeit briefly. I was there um, when they were filming the Dark Knight Rises at uh. Uh, Steeler Stadium. And um, they, they had a call for extras and I happened to have the day off. So me and some friends drove up. Um, it was the middle of summer. Yep. And you had to pretend like it was winter time. So they made everybody put on coats, like winter coats and, and pretend it was winter. Um, and then between scenes, you got to take them off. But oh my God, it was so hot and sticky. And they gave us nothing to eat, but like bad hot dogs and <laughs> stadium food sounds yep. like. Yeah, it was an experience, but it lasted much longer and was much more boring. <laughs> so, uh, uh, speaking about things that happened a little while back, uh, Star Citizen, uh, its highly anticipated dogfighting module will finally be released to the massive crowds on May 29th. So, because up until now, it's pretty much been a space garage. So, uh, it looks like I'm pretty much the only one left on this uh, podcast who actually, you know, uh, is into this. Uh, but uh, this is a game that uh, the former co-host uh, uh chris and i had funded and i think one or maybe both of the uh hosts on 8-bit uh but this is you know you know following the resurgence of uh old genres in the gaming industry mm-hmm. uh so i'm uh really looking forward to this so uh and now ha- uh, for some economics about a kickstarter so, uh, specifically the story behind the Brooklyn Bridge in Letterpress type Kickstarter. Oh yeah, this thing. So I have lots of opinions. So, um, uh, Cameron here goes through all of the, uh, things he had to do and, uh, pretty much goes through it step by step. Like, uh, I'm not, it doesn't sound like he actually had a budget for all of this. Uh, but, you know, it pretty much goes through, you know, this is what I had to do and this is how much it cost. Uh, thankfully he came out, uh, a little ahead. Um, so, you know, it details, you know, where all the funds raised went. Uh, seems that he had, uh, done some research prior to the Kickstarter and, uh, that was like $15,000 and then like right up front, the, uh, Kickstarter fee and the merchant fee for actually, you know, doing the, uh, the fundraising campaign, uh, the video production to, uh, you know, actually have that nice pretty video at the top of the page. And, uh, uh because this was essentially the, uh, Brooklyn bridge made out of essentially, uh, letterpress type that it was, you know, a poster. So he had to get those printed. Uh, he had to get like these, uh, the tubes to put the posters in, uh, the, uh, apparently he had to store them somewhere because he didn't want them in his apartment. Right. Uh, the postage, the help to package everything. Uh, he apparently had a stretch goal that, uh, cost just a little bit. Right. Uh, a booklet that he needed to get printed. 
And it was only after everything got sent out that, uh, noticed that there was a, a typo <laughs> on everything. Uh, so he had to pretty much, you know, print it all again, mail it all again. So, yeah. And apparently income taxes. So he, uh, raised $64,500 and he profited about 4900 Uh, that's about seven and a half percent. So, uh, I mean, you are the third guy on this podcast who's had a Kickstarter. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, how did yours uh, come out? Well, um, so first of all, mine was not nearly as successful on Kickstarter in terms of total amount raised. This guy raised 64000 I raised, I think, 11000 Um But I, I got to say, um, so this guy, like, I guess, I guess this guy's point is... Um, I didn't make that much money, you guys. It sucked. Um, but yeah, that seemed I, to be the uh, thing here. I mean, I gotta be honest. Like, I read this thing and I was like, oh, well, this is good information to have out there. Like, oh, yeah, it's good to say, you know, it's good to warn people on Kickstarter. Like, it's not just raise the money and you're done. There's a lot of details to it. There's a lot of, um, that you need to think about that, that you should think about before you do a Kickstarter shipping is something to consider, you know, printing is something to consider all that. That's very, very true. And you, uh, already had a store, uh, for system comic, right? Right. Exactly. It was still a lot of new things, but the thing is a lot of these, these costs that are in here, he talks about them like, Oh, I didn't think about this or like, (laughs) like I, I'm just like amazed. Like, okay, let's like the way he talks about these items. Um, the first one, less Kickstarter's fee. Okay, well, you knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Less the merchant's fee. Okay, well, you knew that was going to happen. Um, less the video production. Well, you chose to produce your video. That was the cost of doing the project. You knew it. The loan repayment. That is nobody's job but your own. Right. Um, you know, the less printing. Okay, well, printing's, of course. Less shipping supplies. Well, of course there's shipping supplies. Yeah. And, like, without getting too into every single shipping supply he has, I don't know if they're all the necessarily the best shipping supplies, but that's another topic. Um, less storage for three five months. Okay, again, logistics, that's fine. He shipped everything priority mail, that's fine too. Temporary help, that was like a nothing cost. Like, these yeah. are all, like, none of these are surprising. And then he goes to poster reprinting. Okay. That's an issue, but that is his own fault. Yeah. It's a spelling error. That is not Kickstarter's fault. That is nobody's fault but his own. And and he talks about it like, ah, oh, I don't know. And everyone's great about it, but I don't know. Like and then postage again, like, yes, those are big costs, but like those yeah. are no one's fault but For- your own. Like none of this is surprising to me. And I shared it with some of my webcomic friends and they were all like, Suck it up, dude. Like they read the article and they were just infuriated, like this specific yes. one? Yes, this specific one, I sent it on, and they were all like, yes, that's what it costs. What do you want? Yeah. Uh, that's how much it costs to do things. This is this is why. And the other thing that he really barely talks about in here, like there's one line about it. Um, Thankfully, I have roughly 800 posters remaining from the project that will be sold at a much higher margin and will hopefully allow me to earn a greater profit on the many hours I've poured into this project. Okay, that is a massive, massive understatement to put that in one line, okay? That it means that he has 800 posters that if he sells for whatever amount, they've like already been paid Like 50 bucks, maybe, yeah. Yeah, they've already been paid for. So, like, he's he's sitting here, like, saying, oh, I didn't make much money, I only made five grand. You made five grand, and you have 
800 extra posters. That is a, and that, and the profitability on those is a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, like, well, except for like shipping, but still. Right. Except for, except for shipping. Right. So, so to have this worded as though I barely made any money on a $65,000 Kickstarter campaign is, is crap because really he's saying I, he like, if he's factoring in all of these costs, he should factor in how much he could make on the other 800 posters or how much he's planning on making on it and then compare it. Cause that is way less of a woe is me sort of article <laughs> and, and way more accurate. Like I printed with my Kickstarter, which will be available online soon through my website, systemcomic.com. Uh, you know, I, pr- I shipped out 300 bucks. That was the amount that, that, you know, backers and things asked for. Then there's an extra 200 left over. Um, I, cause I chose to print 500 books. Great. Now I have 200 extra books. Every time I sell one, it's all profit. And that's part of, so really the Kickstarter paid for that print run. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to make money on the Kickstarter. I was trying to cover the print run and I did exactly. that. Exactly. So yeah. Um, I, and, I have a lot of opinions. And, uh, like sort of like my view on Kickstarter is that, you know, the intention is to build something, to make something, to get something started. Right. And, you know, he, he has all this product lying around, of course. You know, right. That's pretty much how Kickstarter is supposed to work. Uh, you know, to, you know, you know, cover that initial cost of something to, you know, later, you know, supposedly create a product or some work of art. So, yeah. I just got to imagine, though, his original goal was $10,000. What would have happened if he only raised 10,000? What would he have done? Would he have just, cause that was his original goal. Well, I mean, what would you do, man? I mean, you, you just spent $60,000 on a Kickstarter. What would have happened if you only raised the 10 you asked for? That's true. It's like he didn't even factor in. He didn't know about the, the Amazon fee and the Kickstarter fee. That's, that was his original plan. But, but then again, if he raised only $10,000, he wouldn't have to ship out as much. He wouldn't have to print as much. So, like, that would, you know, cut significantly a lot of these costs. Some things are, like, the video production is still going to cost yeah. a thousand, whether you do ten or a, right. however yeah. he did. Yeah, and, and right now he's saying he's charging $80. He charged for the Kickstarter $80 per poster. And now he's saying, yeah, I would charge more, significantly more, after it's printed. Well, let's say he just charges 100 per poster times the 800 he has. If he sells them all, that's 80 grand. Yeah, just in... What gross profit? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'm I'm crying zero tears for this guy, and I I don't know if that's like the way he's worded it has made it seem like like he's suffering and yeah. he's just not. <laughs> um, he is just not. But you know, it's it's great to have a you know sort of behind the sto- behind the scenes uh you know sort of you know this is yes. this is what happens. So it's true. And I'd rather read 10 articles like this than, than 10 articles on, well, even than one article on like um, speculation, even. Yeah. Speculation or just like motivation. I mean, like it's, it's great to, to say like, yeah, let's get, um, let's raise money or like you should try things. And you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fluff out there these days, but so it is great to see a breakdown, but I gotta say, the, the tone of like, oh, wait, I didn't actually make any money. <laughs> Sorry, man. So, uh, um, mind if we, uh, since you are a uh, guest on the show, mind if we do a, uh, an interview? Yeah, not at all. 
I think you might have stated some of this before, but please state your name, occupation, and shoe size. Okay, yeah, well, um, my name is Ross Nover. I go on the internet as Rosscott, R-O-S-S-C-O-T-T. Um, I'm on Twitter as at Rosscott, and uh, most places like Tumblr is rosscott.tumblr.com. Um, and my website is systemcomic.com. Uh, I've been doing it for six years, uh, making comics there. i um, graphic designer by trade. Um, and when I'm not graphic designing, I'm comicking. And when I'm not comicking, I'm teaching. Uh, I've taught a lot at American University and here in DC. Um, and, um, sometimes I get asked to do talks and things, which is a lot of fun. And, uh, I'm also one of the MCs and, uh, owners of Super Art Fight, which is a live action art competition. Uh, imagine if you will, Pictionary meets pro wrestling. And that gives you some idea of what it's like. And we, um, do that, uh, we, we have about 20 or 30 times a year, which is a lot of fun. So that's like professional artists drawing things and it's actually like Pictionary? Well, yeah, so two artists are drawing on a gigantic canvas at the same time, and the audience chooses the winner of each bout after 20 minutes. So it's uh, collaborative and combative to create artwork. And over the years that we've been doing it, we've been doing it six years now, um, uh, the <laughs> the characters uh, that do it have become much more, um, well, characters. Um we have a luchador, a Russian luchador named El Russo Rojo, and a uh, um, uh, guy named Baron von Sexyful, and um, a a dude who dresses up like all things America called the Commando, and um, another guy that has made a entire persona out of the Big Lebowski called the Doodler, and um, these are the people that oh, and a giant monster named Stompadon. And so you have artists in character, in costume, also drawing amazing artwork. It's <laughs> something. It is, in fact, something. Uh, and our website is superartfight.com. And we are, uh, we're actually bringing the show online. We're doing a web show that will oh, premiere in the next couple of weeks. That'd be great. Yeah. Because, oh, stay tuned. because, uh, you know, you know, I've been reading your comics since like maybe early 2009 or so. Mm-hmm. And every so often, you know, it'll come up super art fight. Yeah. So. Whenever I think to post about it. Um, but yeah, we, we, we just had um, a show here in DC where we had 360 people come out and watch the show and chant along with us and cheer and, and the whole nine yards. And that was a lot of fun. It was a good show. Um, and we get to do that in, in Baltimore and DC and we're actually going to uh, LA this summer. So we, we, it, it doesn't pay any money. Um, <laughs> we, it is just for the fun of doing it and, and maybe and publicity. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the fact that I get to do that, the fact that I get to travel around and, and, and all that. I mean, I, if it weren't for Super Art Fight, I wouldn't have met my girlfriend and she's amazing. So if nothing else, it was worth six years and all the time to meet someone as awesome as Kristen. So... She didn't hear that. I wish she'd heard that. But, <laughs> oh well. Now I'll make her listen to this. <laughs> Hi there. Hi. Uh, but no, she's, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So uh, what inspires you? Uh, what inspires me? Oh, man. Um, honestly, uh, as much as I hate to admit it, um, the biggest inspiration is um, frustration. It's 
realizing that something is is wrong or weird or annoying or makes me angry and it makes me want to fix it and make a comic about it or just complain about it or rant about it. Um, and a lot of the best comics come out of being annoyed by something. Yep, uh, a definitely. Lot of the time. Uh, and you know, it, you never know what what's going to become a comic, and definitely not whatever's going to become a great comic. But um, I, I definitely think the greatest moments come out of just being really frustrated with something, yeah, and it's... happen at two a.m. and and all that, and that that that's what yields the the most cathartic moments. So it's it's interesting that you say that frustration uh, inspires you. Uh, that that's in contrast to me because what inspires me is things working, building things. And, yeah. you know, nothing kind of depresses me more than, you know, getting something and it's broken. Or, you know, it's like I can't figure out how to use it. I'm like, oh, it's too hard. And I cry and run away. Well, it's still it's still two sides of the same coin, I think, because yeah, what you're saying really is you enjoy you enjoy fixing it, but it had to be broken first. And, you <laughs> well, know, not not necessarily, but you know, at least you know you can build something and have it work that way. Right. So right, and and I think I think that's still the same kind of creator mindset. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it had like, and that's definitely the approach is to. I mean, you, you, you're inspired to create something, and I, I know I definitely am, um, and I'm always on the lookout for what that next thing can be, and because I happen to uh, make comics, I'm always on the lookout for what I can create in comic form, or chart form, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other day, I was... I was what, what became last week's comic um, started as the idea that um, you know, I feel like I'm constantly, you know, making a website and looking at it and saying it doesn't look like I want it to yet and then doing it again and looking at it and in this little cycle. And then I was like, I should make, I feel like that's a chart. I feel like I could make that a chart. And then I'm like, I wonder what the developer version of that chart would be. <laughs> I wonder what the client version of that chart would be. And that was, that was, that was a post on Medium last week. Uh, yep. The, how should I get to work? Yep. Yeah. Well, so there's how should I get to work? And then last week's was, um, how our website's made, and it was um, for how developers look at that, and how designers look at that, and how. Um, um, I uh, can't see like that. that. Oh, I'll post a link. So now it will be in the show notes. There it is. Um, so, yeah. Uh, ah, thing with, that's it. Yeah, there you go. Because um, I'm looking at systemcomic.com and I'm, yeah, I'm not seeing up, this. It goes up on System Comic uh, later tonight. As soon as I get off this podcast, I'll have to make a post for it. All right, so um, so we know uh, so we know how that came by. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it, it really came out of you know realizing that like, this is this is kind of the chart that happens in my head, and so I figured why not make it into a chart that happens for everyone else. Um, so a lot of it happens that way. Uh, oh, shoe size. I never covered shoe size. Uh, I'm, like a, I'm like a nine and a half. Two uh, uh, E, which is like a little wider. Um, but yeah. <laughs> just just for fun. Yep. So uh, what got you started in computers and technology? Oh, man. Uh, I started an Apple IIc uh, when I was however oh, old. That makes sense. Um, I don't know, like three or four. Uh, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, right. Uh, but I knew how to start it up. I knew how to put in the floppy disk. Didn't have a hard drive, so I had to put in the floppy disk and, um, you know, get to a few 
simple things. And um, I, I always liked it. I was always a technology kid. I mean, I wasn't a I wasn't that much of a tinker, but I definitely enjoyed it and was fascinated by it. And was into video games and, and computers and all right. that stuff. And then and then we didn't have a new computer for a very long time. <laughs> uh, so to see to a uh, the first Pentium, the Pentium sixty, uh, the I think it was a six eighty six uh, processor, and it had a eight hundred and fifty gig, uh, sorry, megabyte hard drive. Wow. Yep. And oh man, we kept having to clear things off and all that. And, well, you know, up up until about nineteen ninety nine, I think. That all we had was uh, like uh, one of those old compact all-in-ones with a mm-hmm. 486 and a 500 megabyte hard drive. Oh yeah. And pretty much up until the computer we got in like 2002, when like hard drives actually became really honking huge. Yeah. <laughs> Always, you know, it's like, oh, what else do I have to take off of here? Yeah. And that's 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 kind of really damaging because like so much stuff that you know I you know created and stuff back then like I is gone yeah. yeah if if I saved it at all yeah so I definitely I definitely miss that and I definitely miss how indestructible old computers were I mean that Apple two C I mean we don't have it anymore but I bet if we did it would still work like well speaking things speaking just, of that yeah this is. Uh, my 20th century computer, uh, I had pulled it out of my uncle's house when he died, like, two or three years ago, and it's a Pentium 2, and nice. I have Windows 98 on it, and you can see that CRT back there, <laughs> so... I love how your case isn't even put together, you just kind of leave the guts hanging out. Yep, it, it sort of, you know stays that way you know it it works it turns on there's no sparks or anything so i (laughs) mean i mean if i really wanted to make it look nice i'd probably buy a case for it but right but there was just less stuff to go wrong back then i mean you didn't worry about dead pixels (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean right kind of things just kind of worked on those a little more um i've had a lot of crts go bad Right. Okay. Right. They start with the lines and stuff. We used to have one. It was yellow. And you'd hit it on the top. Then it goes good. And then after a while, it goes yellow again. You just give it another whack. And <laughs> yeah, you know, yep. you know, things were a little different when computers were more analog. Yep. So, um, which you know, you you uh, mentioning whacking your monitor on the side. Uh, one of my old twenty uh, four inch LCD monitors that I now have at work. I occasionally have to slap it or something or turn it on its side because, like, all the way over on the right side, almost, there's, like, this line of teal, just this teal line that sometimes appears. <laughs> so I'm not sure if there's a short or something in it, but, uh, yeah. You, you know what, though? I'd rather that than, um, like, any time a pair of Apple headphones, uh, like, an ear goes out. Or something. There's no whapping it that works. It's just gone. That's it. It's yeah. done. And uh, interesting, you say you know, you know, older indestructible computers. I've been thinking about uh, buying one of those Model M keyboards, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, one of the Unicomp ones. Like I'm oh, not, yeah. I'm not exactly that retro to go back into like you know the '80s models or whatever. Right. But uh, yeah. I mean, just the name Unicomp makes you think it'll never die. <laughs> so, uh, what was your first gigantic technical accomplishment? 
Um, first gigantic technical accomplishment. Not necessarily um, your first accomplishment, but one that's like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I would probably have to say, um, gosh, I think I think I think it was probably when I first built a website and it wasn't for a class. Um, <laughs> uh, this was in college. I mean. I, I was an interactive design major, but I gotta be honest, they didn't know what that meant. I mean, the problem <laughs> with, the problem with, um, education in general, um, is that you, it has to cycle back around in order to be taught. Like, the, the teachers have to learn it and then get to the point where they can get back around to teaching it. And so, it takes a little time for that loop to happen for it, for new things to wind up in the curriculum. Right. And so, you know, I was taught at that awkward time where people had heard of CSS, but no one was teaching it, at least not in my school. And, um, uh, you know, everything was Photoshop slices and Dreamweaver, and no one really knew what they were doing. Um, and that's where, you know, that's where things were. And so the first time I was able to build a website with, uh, without, that wasn't for a class and that it actually worked. And I, you know, I didn't run into some problem that I was just stumped on, and and well, I ran into plenty of problems, but I got through them, you know, and right, and that's okay, and um, that's that's when that's when it felt real. I don't know, that's that's when it felt like the real deal. That's awesome. So, uh, what tools do you use now, and how have they changed? Oh man, the tools. I mean, aside some, from my car, right? Uh, well, the tools are changing all the time, and you know, I, we have these. I had this running joke at work about new tools because like, it's great that there's new tools and, and there's a guy that, that um, works with me named Rick and Rick is constantly like, Oh, there's this new framework and this new framework does this thing. And you know, Oh, I want to do the new site and Jeep and not uh foundation or, or foundation and not bootstrap or whatever. And like, I use those things. They're, they're good. Like things are getting better. Things are getting easier. That's great. But also like, then he'll be like, well, I don't know why this isn't working. And I'm like, well, <laughs> did you try display dash colon table? Like, or that's something that like, to me, like when back in my day, we had to write it all the time like that, you know, or whatever. And, right. And so the tools are great, but at some point, like they're going so fast that like we, oh, right. We have a running joke and it's like, have you tried the new, uh, you know, we, we tried a uh, hip chat at work and then we tried and now we're doing Slack. And so there's this thing about like, oh, we used to be on hip chat. Now we're on Slack, but now we're giving it up for Slam Jam, and then we're going to change that out for Slip Slam, and like we just keep making up stuff because it just seems like the technologies are changing so fast. And it's like, oh yeah, let's use Florp or something. Yep, yeah. Um, and so I guess, uh, but right now what we're using, I mean, um, we're using Slack to talk to each other. We use it kind of as a mixture of chat and keeping track of things, and. Um, we use Trello to keep track of projects. Uh, that's popular. Yeah, quite popular. Uh, it took a little while for me to get into it. Um, but I mean, that stuff's just as important as, as, um, you know, coding really, cause you don't know what to code. <laughs> you can't right. be Uh, and, and we use GitHub and, uh, I use Sublime Text for writing code. Um, but I gotta be honest, if it weren't for Photoshop and Illustrator, and um, the Adobe Creative Suite and all that stuff. I mean, I don't know who I'd be. Right. Um, that's that's still my bread and butter. And 
Um, as much as people like to say they design in the browser, and I wish I could just design in the browser, I don't think in the browser. Like, I can do things in the browser. I can make the browser do what I want, but I have to decide what I want first, and I'm not good at that yet. Um, right. So, so I still start in Photoshop, even if it's just more of a sketch than a final thing. And, and then I go to the browser. So, um, yeah, that's, that gives you some idea. Um, and then I, I would count listening to podcasts as a tool because it helps with productivity as much as getting it as any program does. So, so, um, let's see. Yeah. At least for me, you know, pretty much whenever I move to a new job, that's pretty much like the biggest change of tools. And then it just sort of like stays the same way for a while. But, uh, you know, at least when you're in an established company like that, that's pretty much the norm. Right. So, um, let's see, I think I, I, at first I wanted to, you know, throw something in there, but I forget what it was. <laughs> but, um, oh yeah, I remember. So I was listening to, uh, I think it might have been like some sort of like panel or something, uh, that I think it might have been from like one of Scott Hanselman's things. Mm-hmm. That, uh, and it was like this older guy. I, f- I forget his name, but, uh, he's, he's like, yeah, like all this change on the web is great, but, uh, like at some point, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we gotta throw everything out because js.js just came out and now we, it does the same thing as this other thing, but it's completely right. different and we have to throw it all out and start over again. Yeah. And, you know, there's, uh, um, like preprocessors now with, with, uh, CSS is the new thing. Everyone's using SAS or, um, Compass and SCSS and all this stuff. And right. they're, they are really cool. They let you do things in a cool way. But if you don't have your hardcore, just basic CSS down, then right. they don't do you any good. So like, I don't know. I, I, I've watched just like the stuff. It's like stuff built on stuff built on stuff. And that's cool for the it's, hardcore it's user. It's abstractions all the way down. Yeah, it really is, um, because it's just getting to a point where it's just getting crazy balls um, yeah. in, the, in the details of it. And it's not that it shouldn't exist, because it, it should, but you know, I think sometimes people get too hung up on doing things the perfect way and not just like, doing, things. doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, instead of worrying about which is the best tool, how about which one can do it, or which one do you already know and starting, and yeah. then going and, from there. And, you know you know, saying about, like, the best tool or something, and, like, you finally figured out, uh, like, your favorite thing in the world, like, what it, it was built with, or, you know, you actually look behind, you can actually get the tool that was, that it used, you know, that was used to build it. Right. And you toy around with it, and you're like, how can anyone do anything in this? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I've definitely encountered that. I mean, there's definitely plenty of, uh, um, you know, <laughs> frameworks I've tried to use where I'm like, this is a mess. This is a jumble. I think, you know, I, I think the truth is it's like, well, just don't let me deal with other people's code and they're not happy. <laughs> yeah. Anytime I'm dealing with, or, or the real lesson is, is, uh, if, if it's someone else's code or if, if it's annoying code to work with, it's probably going to be faster to rewrite it than it is to futz with it. Yeah. Cause I've spent six hours futzing with something I could have re- rewritten in two and been annoyed that I did that. <laughs> so, so uh, let's talk about your comic for uh, for a moment. Oh yeah. Uh, what got you got you interest interested in this art style? 
Yeah, so um I this... I recall that at some point you uh you had mentioned that in your design work you were sort of using, you know, figures like this. So. Oh, yeah, you've got my spiel down. Uh, so that's that's the deal. So I'm wondering were your clients like governments or something? Uh no. So I worked at this uh small design firm out in Potomac, Maryland, um called Copeland Design and they're they're good people. Um, I think, you know, they, um, <laughs> oh God, don't put that in the show notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> he said um, it. <laughs> they're, they're good people. But, uh, anyway, so, um, uh, so I was working there and they did signage and I thought like when you're in school, you know, this is my first job at school, right? So when you're in school, you hear signage and you think like at the time Paula Cher got to redo like whatever she wanted in this, in, um, this theater company in New York and, you know, gets to do the walls and paint things huge and, you know, go nuts with it. And, and when I got there, you know, the craziest thing I got to do was like take someone's logo that they'd already made, you know, they already had the logo and just put it on the wall really big, um, you know, things like that. And so, um, there's, there's a lot of times when we got to make signage in the most boring way you can think of, like, uh, men's room signs like literally like men's room this way arrow yeah <laughs> but like matching to the style that's in all the other signage in the building it was a lot of matching to existing stuff um which you know. which probably drove you nuts at first oh yeah it drove, drove you super nuts because you're like wait is that like how much of a rounded corner edge is that is it like a quarter inch or you know or like trying to match the font or whatever and in um, I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure what's worse, something matching, not matching, or, like, almost matching, or whatever. Um, so, it was, it was just that, a lot. Um, but there was this set of files that was, um, that they bought on CD, um, you know, and every single EPS file was its own symbol, separated out in folders, and one day I was bored, and I don't remember what I was working on, but I just started... I was like, this is annoying to have a separate file for each to browse through. So I took all of them and copy and pasted them into one file. And it was this file that that has evolved into what I call now my dingbats and symbols file, where I just take any time I find a Let symbol. Let me guess, file. it sort of looks like this. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. So, uh, which, which, by the way, is the uh, comics will be published until morale improves, well, uh, which is your uh, kickstarted book. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I started putting together this file and I started looking at it more and realizing like you've got a bunch of people drawings in a bunch of different positions. And uh, I was like, you could make comics out of this. I wonder why no one's made comics out of this. Someone has to have made comics out of this. And I looked and I couldn't find any. Uh, and I was like, well, I guess I'll make comics out of this. Yeah. You, it sort of pushes your comic really pushes the envelope on how a, a web comic should look like. Yeah. You know, like, I've never come across something quite like this. I mean, of course, you know, XKCD does, yeah. you know, stick figures all the time. Yep. But this is a very uh, manufactured type look mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. You know, when I first started, there was um, there's this idea that comes up a lot of this, um, or they used to come up a lot about Sprite Comics. Do you remember Sprite Comics? No. So Sprite Comics is when someone takes a video game, like, um, like a Sprite-based video game, um, and they take that video game and then they make, um, uh, like 
they take every single character character drawing, like the walk cycle drawings and all that stuff, and then they make sprites out of them. Right. And they make comics out of those sprites. So then, uh, and there were there used to be a lot of them. I I gotta be honest, I don't remember the names of any of them. Uh, well, <laughs> there was Eight Bit Theater, which was really good actually. Um, I th- I think I've heard of that somewhere. Right. Um, but there was a bunch, and some of them were popular even. And there's one that used the Mega Man characters and one that used the Final Fantasy characters, whatever. And, I, I uh, think I've, you know, seen some of those, like, around somewhere. Yeah, but they used to be picked on in the comics community because there was no drawing involved, you know? Oh, they didn't draw this, they stole this, and, like, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're not even writing it, you know? Like, or they're just writing it and, and stuff like that. And I always, like, I was waiting for the discussion of like me getting picked on for being a sprite comic because at its core that's exactly what I was doing. Yeah. Was was using these symbols to make comics and, and that's that's what sprite comics were. Yeah. Um for it's, whatever it, reason no one ever I don't I, I think honestly and, and this isn't being cocky, but I think it's because my comic was good enough that no one no one minded. Maybe I hope maybe. Uh I don't know if that's Or maybe you haven't reached that critical mass. Maybe, yeah. I've so. just never had to be popular enough to worry about it. <laughs> um, and I guess sort of like the closest thing, you know, to at least this sort of machined look would be uh, zero punctuation. Uh, right. That those reviews, uh, except he actually uses color and uh, box art for video games. So right, yeah. Um, and I, and I love zero punctuation, and I love that kind of. Uh, I love minimal stuff because the great thing about minimal stuff is. People read into it whatever they want. Um, yeah, they, they they're able to place themselves in it because you know there's a blank face. So right, exactly. And and you know um, if you read um, Scott McCloud's book uh, Understanding Comics, which you know is by no means the original source of a lot of its content, but the most digestible one. Um, you know, he talks about the iconographic versus realistic plane of existence of, you know, drawing things as simple as a smiley face versus drawing something as specific as a detailed drawing of a particular person and how that's kind of a scale. And the more iconic something is, the more people can, can read into it as themselves. Exactly. Um, which is, uh, makes it sound like I planned this, but the truth is I did not. Um, I just wanted to make comics and I was in a Honestly, I, it was easy. Um, I was at work. I was sitting at work. I had tools in front of me, and I could sneak into making comics during the middle of the day because <laughs> I had Illustrator open anyway. Right. <laughs> and you and know, it's not like at least the visuals to throw it all together, you know, appear to be pretty easy to do. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I, there's still plenty of you know thought process going on too. Yeah. Yeah. My my comics, uh, famously amongst my friends, take a ridiculously short amount of time to make once I have all the ideas in place. Um, it's just coming up with the ideas that takes the most time. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. And, and because it's kind of joke a day, um, it, that takes a while sometimes. Yeah. Some, sometimes, uh, a week, <laughs> sometimes a week. Yeah. Well, lately it's been a week. Um, so, you know, I've, I've of course made the joke in the comic in the comment section that, you know, apparently morale has improved. Yep. So, yeah. Well, don't worry. It hasn't. Uh, I mean, it has, but it hasn't, right? Um, yeah. 
So, uh, looks like you had a question there. Yes. So I, I was going through the different comics. I, I actually haven't read that many of them in the past. That is okay. Yes. We're cool. Don't worry but about it. <laughs> I, I was interested in the bikers, the bike sniper one. Yeah. I was like, what, what drove you to do that? Were you riding on a bike and you had the desire to shoot people or? <laughs> so I started, uh, the comic around the time that I started biking and the two very much went hand in hand for me just cause I was looking for things to write comics about and I was coming up with ideas while I was biking because I think most people come up with ideas in downtime when they're doing dishes or going for a walk or in the shower or on the toilet or these times that like yeah. you're not distracted and your brain has time to wander. And for me, a lot of that was my 20 minute bike ride to work. So in other uh, words, the time that you're not looking at a phone. Exactly. All of your non-phone times. So that's when I was getting a lot of ideas. So I did a lot of comics, especially early on about, about biking. And then, um, the bike sniper in particular, um, I found this set of icons and they were called Olympicons and, they were basically all the um, original illustrations from the 1968 Olympics, which, you know, there's always, you know, for every event, there's an icon. And for every icon, um, you know, they were done that year in that kind of style that very much matched to the stuff that I had. So I decided to keep that, to incorporate those. And so I had the top half from the biathlon event, which was... Uh, skiing and shooting and there was even the exact same because they're all built on the same system that the top of that fit exactly onto the bottom of biking Uh, my biking my standard biking guy which is two circles around a guy bent over so it looks like a bike and so the biathlon just top of shooting fit exactly onto the bottom so i was like this is this is too cool this this needs to be used (laughs) somehow but the truth is uh, when you're, when you're biking around town, I do feel like you kind of have to have the right mindset to like deal with the things that happen when you're on a bike. Like you have to be assertive enough to not get run over and you have to kind of own your space a little bit. And so to me, the bike sniper kind of over time represented that, like you have to balance being, um, a little aggressive, uh, while you're, while you're biking around, you have to own your lane. You have to not let everyone pass you and not let um people run over you literally so right um so the bike sniper kind of came to to uh embody that uh and it just looked cool so that helps. It does <laughs> yeah and and looking at your uh book here you uh mentioned about the department of transportation symbols from 1974 right yeah that's the so that is the original set is uh if you go to the american institute of graphic artists website aiga um, they have, uh, they have a set called the AIGA symbol signs, which is the original set. Um, and then they've slowly added a few over time, though not very many. And, uh, that's the original set that I, I was using, even though I didn't really even know it, but then they actually had that set available for download. Um, so you could so, steal it. Uh, it's not, that's the thing. It wasn't stealing. They want people to use it. So. They say use it for well, whatever you want. Well, so. with, the, with the abuse of that word, I think it might apply here. Fair. I mean, I think I've done enough with it at this point that I can say that uh, so, I've used it. For so, sure. so, yes, uh, I guess I can pretty much go go ahead and say that, you know, I uh, backed your Kickstarter at the 
hundred some dollar level. So I got the book, the poster, the shirt, whatever. And uh, I also you murder dog. I yes, yeah. I got him. <laughs> so yeah, he, he normally he gets you. This time you got him. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and uh, you know once once I saw that as a reward tier, I'm like I have to have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those those were uh, what. Uh, one great thing about the comic and the, the style and the format is they're easy to produce and reproduce. So I, uh, because they're vector and they're basically SVG files, yeah. you can, you can, um, well, so I don't post them as SVG files, but they're created as SVG, you know, illustrator, EPS, whatever right? vector files. So I can, I can make toys really easily. I can make signs really easily. I can, uh, duplicate them. I can, you know, scale them and and all that easily, very, very easily. Um, And that is really, really handy. Raspberry? Raspberry. 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 All right. So um, you came across a t- Raspberry Pi tank. Can you tell us about that? So this guy took a remote control tank that could, like, drive around and shoot, like, these plastic bullets and things. And he took it apart and plugged a Raspberry Pi into it. He set it up so it has it makes its own... Wi-Fi hotspot, and then you can connect up to it, and with either a mobile device or like a laptop that has an interface where you can drive the tank around and get a live video feed and shoot stuff. So, mm. so this is almost that uh, sort of autonomous robot I was talking about, except Kinda. except that it doesn't exactly you know navigate itself around. It still has to be driven. So, but yeah, that seems pretty awesome. Yes. So the interesting thing is the guy. According to the, the website diary, he built it in 30 days' time. He decoded the existing controller and the, the codes that he had to send it to them in binary format and everything. Yeah, he details this out amazing. And he has his, his code posted up on up on GitHub and on how he did it all, and it's pretty interesting. Awesome. So, um, you remember Canonical, right? They're the uh, company behind the Ubuntu Linux distribution. So, sure. So, um... Oh, that was just open-ended. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, they recently had a, uh, a an open-stack summit, and, uh, you know, they pretty much did their spiel there. And they also announced a cloud-in-a-box called their, uh, the, uh, the Ubuntu Orange Box. So, this, you know, pretty much has about ten, uh, PCs inside of it, so you can sort of, like, test your you know, your miniature cloud app on it. Uh, but apparently, he, they've gotten, like, a lot of demand for this. 
apparently they've only been testing it a little bit uh, internally, but there's also quite a bit of demand for it, you know, just as, you know, just a general server farm, almost. And, you know, it mentions here that, you know, some... Uh, it's, you know, generating a lot of interest from corporate customers. Uh, at least one individual told me that the $12,000 price tag aside, that he was impressed enough to be thinking that Canonical should shut up and take my money. Uh, his thought was to use it as a Steam gaming server. Um, well, that makes sense to call it an large box. Yes. Um, let's see, somewhere else, uh, mentioned someone came up to the, to him and said, I'd like a hundred of these. So, uh, you know, if, if I were more into, uh, you know, heavy iron type, uh, uh, type of applications and demands, you know, this would be a very, uh, a very tempting offer. And, uh, you know, I think the, uh, the, you know, the specs of this thing sort of helps with it a little bit in that, uh, it doesn't have Xeon processors in it. It has like a normal everyday I, uh, Ivy Bridge i5 in it. Uh, uh, each, uh, each one of these has 16 gigs of RAM in it and there's like 10 of them, uh, along with a 128 gig boot disk, uh, SSD. And uh, one of them has a two terabyte hard drive in it, so this is pretty much just a box for processing things. So the interesting thing about it is they said that they made the suitcase so that, or not the suitcase, they made it so that it would be like a suitcase yeah. size, so they could take it. They said they could check it in to like your luggage at the airport, so you could take your your server form with you on vacation, or I don't know if they talked about branch offices, maybe exactly your IT, you could go out and set up your the server farm in the branch office, and you just check it in with your luggage on the plane. Yeah, and, you and the whole supercomputer there. And uh, you know that would be your uh, like your private cloud. Yes. So and uh, it it almost looks like a uh, like a really industrial looking uh, like speaker amplifier or something because it has a sort of like a grill on both sides. So yeah, this is uh, a pretty interesting piece of hardware here. So, uh, Jeff Atwood, our, uh, our go-to guy for backups, uh, has posted about the measure of time according to a computer. So, he, uh, you know, goes through, uh, the fact that, you know, humans operate on such a larger time scale than computers do, uh, such that if one CPU cycle is like a second, uh, going to RAM would be about five minutes, uh, going to a solid state drive would take about a week, a hard drive would be a year. Uh, going to the next coast would take five years, and a reboot would be like ten thousand years. A reboot does feel like ten thousand years, to be <laughs> fair. <laughs> so, and uh, it, there's also like another analogy about uh, like how far away uh, your data is. If uh, like your uh, if memory would be like the next city over. Uh, like your the uh, CPU registers would be inside your head. Uh, going to uh, your hard drive would be like going to Pluto and back for your data. <laughs> and then uh, he sort of improves this. Uh, Jeff sort of improves this by saying going to a solid state drive would mean going to about Jupiter and back for your data. <laughs> so you know that's just a you know sort of time scale that you know if you can optimize things that it kind of speeds things up. So yeah, that's. I sort of found that interesting. Yeah, 
Uh, I, I gotta say, um, I love that, and I love the the reference to the movie Her in there, which I've been meaning to see. I've heard that's that's a pretty good one. So yeah. Um, just as a, a side note, do you have an SSD? An, an SSD? Yeah, solid state drive. <laughs> no, I wish I did. I very much wish I did. Um, but yeah, I mean. The, the scale of them just hasn't quite gotten there yet, and I use enough space on my hard drive that it's still worth it for me to have a large have a space. Full one. Yeah. Um, let's see. It was about um, I think it's going on two years now that I bought a, uh, a 512 gig OCZ uh, SSD, um, and you know it's it's about halfway full, but I. Uh, you know, when I in, uh, put it in, I installed Windows 7 fresh, mm-hmm. and I hacked the Windows install routine to force the user's directory to be on the hard drive, like my existing hard drive. So, like, whenever I download something or do something in user space, it's not even touching the SSD. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you know, I'm really hoping that has uh, cut down on the wear and tear on the SSD. Uh, because, you know, they can only be written to, like, 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, that sounds like not a whole lot, but in practice, that's pretty huge. Like, the idea is that the rest of your computer should be dead, or some part, <laughs> other part of your computer should be dead by that time. Yep. Even though I, I think the key is for the, the, the number of times you can write on the SSD, though, is not all the data is changing at once. It's that individual you know, bit has the 10,000 rights. So as long as... Or like that page or something. Spread around. Okay, the page. So as long as it's being like spread around. So I've heard that some of the drives would be smart about what areas haven't been written to yet and which ones have been. Exactly. So uh, Matthew Garrett uh, wonders why Macs are so popular for developing applications that will eventually run on Linux. It can be applied to almost any argument involving platform changes. And uh, spoiler alert here, uh, he pretty much says that Linux has a worse user experience. Uh, better documented Linux APIs aren't going to help much in this regard. It was interesting by worst u- user experience. He wasn't talking about, you know, a guy sitting there with a VI in, in the web browser and the other screen. He was talking about the other stuff that you do with your computer, like, you know, if you're listening to music or... Yes. or Exactly. Whatever you're doing outside of work was really more so what he was getting at was why people prefer the Macs. Yeah, and uh, I remember uh, it was like about 10 years ago or so that uh, one of my friends was building a computer and one of his other friends uh, was you know really wanting him to put Linux on it. And you know even even back then, especially back then, that seemed like a ridiculous idea, especially because he wanted to uh, you know game on this machine. And, uh, you know, back then, you know, and maybe a little bit now, you know, gaming on Linux isn't really there yet. Steam is coming, though. Steam is already here. I know, but it's coming as in coming as in getting bigger. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, you know, and my argument against that would be this. But, of course, it was ten years ago. I was an idiot teenager, so I could not formulate my thoughts to say this. So, you know. And, you know, granted, I had, you know, touched Linux, I had, you know, played around with it a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, it really didn't uh, appeal to me that much because I, too, was, you know, a gamer and whatnot. 
and it's really a pain in the butt to wait 10,000 years for your computer to reboot into another operating system. So, <laughs> so uh, let's talk about HTTP for a moment. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff going around, uh, you know, uh, cross-site scripting and a whole bunch of other stuff that uh, apparently there are actually HTTP headers that you can use to prevent some of this stuff. Uh, and I have a blog post here that goes over four of them. And uh, the first one is content security policy. It seems to block out a lot of bad things, even if you slipped up badly elsewhere. So what this does is that it tells your browser that for this page... You know, you can only get images from this domain. You can only connect, you know, do uh, AJAX stuff to this these domains. Mm. You can load plugins from these domains. And it's, it's a whitelist for all of the other things that can come onto the page. And, you know, you can divide it out by specific, uh, you know, object types. So you scripts, fonts, frames, images, stuff like that. That seems uh, very useful to lock out a lot of other things. So if someone managed to manages to inject some JavaScript onto your page that comes from uh, baddomain.com, uh, it won't exactly work. Uh, then, of course, there's the uh, frame options uh, that you know pretty much tells your browser this cannot be run in a frame, an iframe, ever. Um, there's content type options, which involves, uh, like, upload sniffing, I think. Uh, and then there's strict transport security, uh, which also seems to be a really awesome one. Uh, it tells the browser to only connect to this domain in HTTPS for a given time in seconds. So, like, even if you type in HTTP uh, slash your bank dot com, it'll always go to HTTPS. And it won't uh, be redirected to the secure site. It'll just go to the secure site automatically, even though you specify do not. And it seems like you can even force this for subdomains as well. So this uh, seems to be pretty useful for, you know, uh, especially with all the stuff surrounding the NSA. Um, although that can be arguably, uh, you know, arguably defeated, you know, even now. Right. But it's well still a pretty good idea. I don't think you're really defending against the NSA for the most part. You're defending against the obvious crap, right? I mean, you're defending against like I hate to go with a bike analogy, but you're never gonna you're never gonna have an indestructible bike lock. You're just gonna be locked up enough that you're not tempting to a thief. Yeah, and it's that's kind of what you're doing with this stuff. So. Like it'll it'll probably keep the Russian criminals at bay, at least. Right. So um, I found this uh, very interesting tool called Wave. It's the Web Accessibility Evaluation Tool. It will flag WCAG violations, uh, which is like Web Committee Accessibility Guidelines or something, and it will also give suggestions to improve a website. So, uh, my blog, for instance, uh, theandrewbailey.com, uh, does very well. You know, I got, uh, you know, pretty good headers, and, you know, all of my images have alt text on them. Uh, I've, I'm pretty sure that, uh, like in Markdown, which I use to compose my, uh, posts, it kind of requires alt text for all the images. Um, you know, I don't have any errors or alerts. 
Um, it does have some suggestions on HTML5 on how you can use, I think it's like the ARIA attributes uh, to improve things, but overall, I think I did pretty good. I don't even want to know how bad my site is. <laughs> I'm sure it's terrible. So Don't don't tell me. I don't want to know. But uh, No, this is a great tool. Uh, we were just talking at work today about trying to make something 508 compliant, and um, this is like I the minute I saw this in the notes, I posted this as a link to uh, the guy that's going to have to do it to run it through. Um, and, and there's other ones out there, but this one seems pretty handy. Yep. So... And uh, let's go back to some older things, shall we? Uh, Gearbox spilled the beans on their 11th hour, 11th hour art style change for Borderlands. Um, so I came across this a little while back, but I figured that it would be great to discuss this with someone who sort of draws for a living mm-hmm. and who has at least played Fallout 3. Yes. So, uh, uh, you know, I found this you know pretty interesting in that, you know, I'm pretty sure that I might have actually pre-ordered uh, Borderlands, and this is Borderlands 1, by the way, um, that uh, apparently it was uh, vaporware for a little bit, but, uh, you know, it was, you know, sort of, you know, it was released in 2010, and pretty much, you know, all of the, uh, you know, AAA slash big budget games uh, up to that time, especially shooters, uh, were all gray and brown looking. Uh, so they, uh, they, you know, were building it in a sort of like a brown uh, color palette. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as they were adding on things to it and, uh, you know, actually adding in content that uh, they realized that the visual art style really didn't go well with the theme that they were trying to do, especially the over the top uh, kind of theme that they're going for, you know, over the top in like uh, very... Uh, you know, extraneous things like uh, like a cloud of blood uh, for a uh, uh, you know for a you know like a special insta kill or whatever, uh, and uh, you know the various other you know elemental effects that the uh, weapons produce, uh, along with you know maybe a little bit of the writing style as well. That they you know sort of wanted it to be a little bit more lighthearted and uh, fun looking. Uh, so uh, uh, like I'm not sure exactly you know who in the, uh, like, their art director or something, um, like, they had to develop this in secret for a little bit, mm-hmm. and, uh, like, this really took a toll on, I think it was the art director specifically, that, uh, you know, after all of this, that he, uh, decided to pursue other, uh, career options, uh, in another industry, even. Uh, so... They, uh, you know, pretty much had to remodel things a little bit, and uh, they eventually looked back at the concept art for for the game, and they sort of noticed, you know, why doesn't why doesn't like actual games look more like the concept art that was drawn up uh, like at the beginning of the project? So that's sort of like the style that they were going for, and you know, it's sort of like the most unique game overall, like the most unique and uh, creative game that has come out over the past 10 years, and it's something that I really enjoy, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of people were pretty much sold on the art style alone, uh, since it looks, you know, so unique. Yeah, I gotta say, I love reading through this, because um, I, I do think it has a pretty unique style, and I love hearing them talk about, like, yeah, that was not working. We totally had to change that. So, and uh, it, it, when it was released, it, uh, you know, sort of came out to, you know, sort of mediocre reviews. Uh, but as time went on, you know, this is a, a co-op 
uh, style game. So, you know, over time, you know, people saw other people playing it and joined in. And then when they went home, they're like, hey, that's a pretty, pretty fun game, I remember. And, you know, not only is this a co-op game, but it can be played single player as well and go through the exact same stuff. So this is like I haven't ex- I haven't actually seen any sales numbers for this, but I'm pretty sure it has a, a significant tail to it. And by the time that Borderlands 2 came out about two years ago, uh, this it was a highly anticipated release. So and it it goes over uh, you know former uh, you know concept art uh, for this game, and it's really weird to see Mordecai. Uh, not weigh 90 pounds. Yeah. Oh, man. I just love seeing... I, 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 they did a great job making it gritty, but also super colorful. And... Um, but not, like, gritty in, like, the Christopher Nolan gritty sense. Like, it's just... Like, I don't know. You'd never think to describe it like this, but somehow the result is just so colorful. Yeah, it's... It's what... It's, it's a comic book, essentially. Yeah. Um... And you can sort of see the uh, original design come through in some of the uh, in some of the areas, like the world areas, in that you're either fighting through a desert or a junkyard. Yep. Um, at at some point, you do go to a coast, but it's still a junkyard. It's pretty much a desert junkyard. <laughs> so um, I believe that's. Uh, like I, I was, I think I was on one of the other podcasts, Eight Bit, uh, and I described it as uh, spanning the alphabets uh, from desert to dump. Uh, the first one, uh, so you know uh, they definitely expanded the uh, the environments in the second one. Yeah, and they also even went more ridiculous with all the costumes. Oh yeah, and uh, the 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 writing and the you know just the general thought considered in the second one is much better. Uh, but, you know, even the first one, that sort of shows through in a few places. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, I had mentioned Fallout 3 there uh, because you had uh, done that uh, uh, one uh, strip there about the Metro being down. Yeah. And I had, you know, asked, you know, you know I had said, you know, also due to nuclear apocalypse. Yeah. And and I had just for some reason picked out my Nuka Cola shirt. <laughs> so. Yeah, Fallout Fallout Three. I mean, th- so it takes place in DC, and they actually got it pretty right in terms of uh, areas represented and, and the metro system and stuff. And they did it because um, Bethesda Software is it's like just north right of town. outside the city. Yeah, it's um, actually it was founded in Bethesda, Maryland, but exactly like now they're in Rockland or something. Yeah. And I've I've noticed that you can actually see their offices from the freeway. That's that's amazing. Yep. And I think I might actually have some photo of that somewhere. But uh, yeah, I've I've been to DC about like five or six times. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like I I mentioned here that uh, you know we don't exactly have subways out here in the Midwest. Yeah. And you know, I I you know once I thought about it, it's like yeah, you really like riding the subway, but you know. People who actually live there probably say, "Oh, you don't want to go down there. That's the most worst part of town." Yeah. Well, you know, you live in Pittsburgh, so so yeah, <laughs> the whole thing's the worst part of town. <laughs> well, I mean, I've I've lived out in Salt Lake City for two years, mm-hmm. and I definitely like the uh, like you know the fact that there is actually green here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, granted, you know, there's mountains and stuff out there, but it's, you know, mostly earth tones. 
Yeah. It's, you know, nice to see some trees, like, everywhere. So. That is the one nice thing about the East Coast in general is really big trees. Yeah, I, when I was out in, out in Utah there, I, I said that I was from the Eastern Rainforest. So, uh, let's do some, uh, Appreciate and Deprecate. Huh. So, tonight, because I've been wanting to fund that Kickstarter for the Raspberry Pi housing robot thing, I decided to call Amazon Payments about my account, which I never actually did get working right or something odd with it. But anyways, I found the customer service actually answered quite quickly, and since it was from their website, the link to click to call you, it's automatic and they already have the context of your account so they don't have to ask you for stuff. Awesome. So I thought that was kind of impressive versus I've been called PayPal before and it's like a whole bunch of hoops you have to hop through to get in and wait a long time. I thought the system, for the call system anyways, was set up well. The website isn't, but the call system was. That's great. So, uh, why don't we talk about some feats? So, uh, Stephen, you'll know this because you are my co-conspirator in this, about uh, teaching someone computer science. And, uh, you know, just to, I guess, I guess just to be clear here, we're talking about Chris. Now, long-time listeners will probably remember some guy named Chris, uh, but this is not that Chris. This is another one. And uh, I'll probably be stupid and say, hey, we mentioned you on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe you'll listen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, uh, how, should I, how should I start saying this? He's a, uh, he's a English major. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, I guess he originally got this one book from, like, 1999 that was pretty much all basic, I think. Programming for Dummies or something like that. It's, like, one of the Dummies book. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was, like, pretty much, like, basic or something. And, uh, so we were meeting up in a mall, and, uh... Uh, we, you know, since you are the impatient one and, once, and you know, always gets the food first, uh, that pretty much gives uh, me and Chris the opportunity to go around and leave the table. So at some point he started to write a program that would be for you, uh, Stephen, uh, that would, you know, essentially like watch over the food or something and like start attacking if you detected movement or something. And this is, you know, he's pretty much like, you know, sort of made up pseudocode, essentially. And uh, it was uh, last Friday that, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, let's, uh, after about, I think it might have been like three weeks or something, you know, let's like actually start using an actual programming language. Uh, so, you know, we started to, uh, you know, go over the basics, basics of programming in Python. And I think he's starting to get it a little bit. He is starting to get it, but I get a sense his English major is coming through for him, and he's kind of picking up the lingo there. Yeah. But it's kind of... He, he's going to start... He's starting to tie the ideas together, but a lot of the times you see he's, he's tying the words together, and sometimes it doesn't. It's interesting to see how he's processing it through yeah. the English major perspective. Yeah, and... that's uh, what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, and I... You know, since he is an English major, I thought that he would find my random sentence generator to be quite interesting. Uh, because I pretty much, uh, you know, made classes for all the parts of speech. And, you know, I used that to, you know, pretty much string the parts of a sentence together. You know, the subject is a noun, and the, uh, like the predicate, you know, is the verb and usually some other kind of object. So, you know, that was, I think, a pretty much a good starting point to, uh, you know, uh, you know, start to 
you know, map out a data structure of some sort. And, you know, algorithms and data structures, that's, you know, the very, you know, meat and potatoes of computer science. So, and I think I've started to, you know, I sort of nudged him in that direction, uh, you know, to begin with, you know, just to make sure that, you know, this is the sort of stuff that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. It's not just all binary. You know, it it took a little while, but I think he finally understands that programmers don't speak ones and zeros all the time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, and initially I think it was because he wanted to make, you know, jokes that we would understand. Uh, but I think it's, you know, grown a little bit, you know, further into that. And right now I, I would like to imagine that he's doing this to increase his job prospects. Uh, but you never know. <laughs> so, uh, let's go with some podcast feedback. Uh, so, uh, Ian Buck sent us, uh, the, uh, the one guy from the 8-bit show. He says, I am digging that ending music. I'll have to add it to my playlist. So, uh, thank you. Uh, that was from Big Giant Circle's latest album, The Glory Days. It was a Kickstarter from a few episodes ago, and it's uh, essentially a chiptune album. And uh, I think it's uh, uh, a lot better made than his previous one, uh, Imposter Nostalgia. So I guess uh, we'll have to play some of his music on here. So uh, thank you, Big Giant Circle's. Uh, Ryan writes in, he's uh, the guy from the, uh, uh, from At The Nexus, uh, he's asks, so you call to get your pizza, that's crazy. And, well, I'm beta testing a new app that transfers your voice to another phone. Turns out that you can order pizza with it. It's so awesome, you should try it sometime. Transfer your voice to another phone. In other words, call from a different phone number? Yeah, essentially, yeah. Okay. That's pretty much the primary application for a phone but in all of the uh like the app craze that you know people have sort of forgotten what their phone is primarily supposed to do (laughs) so uh ryan says that i sort of met michael dell once he came to our middle school to say hi uh, to the kids in the dell technology program Uh, they bomb swept the building for two days and did all sorts of stuff he wasn't very charismatic, he wasn't very interesting, and exuded no excitement. I mean, he was at a middle school, not an innovation lab, so I understand, but honestly, I wanted more. Uh, uh, Ryan says that I do not have actually ten, I have three, uh, referring to computers in his studio in his basement. And all I got to say is I used floating point math. It's not accurate, you know. Uh, he sort of goes on to explain uh, that my desktop records the Linux computer is the Hangout host, uh, Google Hangouts, that is, uh, and then there's the co-host computer. Uh, the soundboard allows me to take my input line to the microphone out of the main mix. It's a complicated setup, and I need a blog and a place to describe all this nonsense. Uh, Ryan adds, Skype is great and all, but I would like to pay for, but I would have had to pay for Skype group calls. And that's sad. Uh, with free video group calls, it's easier. I like Hangouts because Skype is an evil virus that runs all the time where Hangouts doesn't. It's the only, it's, it only makes noise when opened in Chrome slash or on the phone. Uh, Twit uses Skype differently, though. Uh, they literally have ten computers in their office slash studios, one for each guest, and then they insert expensive mixer magic to make it all work. So, and uh, by the way, we are using the Skype video conference thing. So, uh, that that was uh, just announced, like, what, two weeks ago or so? 
three weeks. I remember. I feel like we talked. about We did. It. We did. Yes. That's okay. that's why you brought it up. Ah. So um, Ryan says I've been using that new Firefox over the last week. The tabs are that are not focused. Uh, have a really light white text on a white tab background color. Uh, Ryan says that it's still too early for NCSS variables. Pre-processing is still easier. And, well, of course, uh, CSS variables are still a W3C draft and not a recommendation or whatever they call it. So, and, uh, yeah, apparently uh, variables are coming to actual native CSS, so you don't need to do any kind of pre-processing just to get those. So um, if you would like to submit feedback, uh, go ahead and contact us on thenexus.tv. In fact, if you're looking at the show notes, you can just click on the link there and you'll be all set. And uh, don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up your stuff. So I'm pretty sure that, uh, Ross, you know a little bit about backups. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm overdue for backing up my computer, if nothing else. So, so, and, uh, you know, I always tend to link, uh, Jeff Atwood's blog post where his, uh, website post went down and took everything with it. So, so that's, uh, that's pretty much it there. And, uh, hi, mom. How you doing? I, I seem to recall that you also have a mom, uh, problem like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, My mom will listen to this episode because I told her it exists. And... (laughs) Guaranteed, that will now happen. <laughs> well, don't you want to say hi? Hi, Mom! <laughs> so, um, well, I guess that'll be pretty much about it for this show. Uh, I want to say thank you to uh, Ross Nover, our guest. Uh, thank hey, you. My for, pleasure. Thank you for being on. Uh, well, I guess I'll say thank you to Big Giant Circles again. Uh, and uh, let's see. I think that might be about it. Um, so I believe you've uh, said this before, but uh, you can probably pretty much find Ross at the System Comic. Yep, System uh, Comic. Website is just yep www.systemcomic.com. So, and you can probably put in your Twitter or whatever else down there. Yep, at Ross Scott is uh, me on Twitter. R O S S C O T T. That's a great place where I actually. I am more caught up on my Twitter than my email, so uh, if you want to get in touch with me, that is the best, probably the best place to do it. So, um, it's interesting that, you know, you have Scott at the end there. Is that, like, your middle name or something? Yeah, so uh, my first name is Ross and my middle name is Scott, and in high school one time I got asked uh, if Ross was short for anything, and then, not trying to be funny, I just said, it's short for Ross Scott, just saying, like, it's short for my first and middle name, and they took it to mean that my, like, that Ross was, like, shortened from Ross Scott as, like, uh. Prescott or something. <laughs> and, like, uh, and so then I started signing essays with it, because this was high school and you had essays to write. Right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I went from there. All right, so, uh, let's see, anything coming up this week? Oh, yeah, there's that Memorial Day thing. So I believe I'm going to some sort of, uh, cookout or something. Nice. Yep, and uh, let's see. My uh, the lead developer at my work it has been out. Uh, will be out rather for the entirety of this week. So that means everything's going to break. Uh, well, some things have broken. Uh, other things are being kept at bay. 
So, uh, you know, you know that uh, things aren't really going well when you push something to production, and then about 15 minutes later, the client calls you and says, hey, like, the homepage is broken. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Um, well, it turns out that we forgot to synchronize or something, and they forgot to uh, upload, like, some batch of images to somewhere, so... But, uh, you know, thankfully, that was not our fault, uh, or rather, that was easily resolved, so. Um, let's see, and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully nothing will burn down in fire. <laughs> so, uh, that's, uh, pretty easy to get to, and I guess I will start to back up my server, uh, uh, the differential backup, uh, but because I uh, backed up my desktop to there, it'll probably take another eight hours or so to finish. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, anything else? Are we all good? I think we're good. I know my dog really needs to go out to pee. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll let you get to that. So, uh, watch for cars. Have a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.